Welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Over the next hour, you will hear raw, honest, and inspiring conversation between Lindsay and her guests, discussing how to thrive, live joyfully, and abundantly in spite of life's challenges. Now, here is your host, Lindsay McCowan. Welcome, everyone, to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I'm your host, Lindsay McCowan, and you're listening on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And I'm incredibly excited about today's topic. As you, If you've been listening throughout this month, uh, the topic of voice keeps coming up. And this was not actually planned, but it just happens to be this beautiful synchronicity where the guests want to talk about their perspective on finding our voice. And today's guest, Kate Bennis, is going to talk about, we're going to have a nice conversation on how to speak up, stand tall, and move others as well as our world forward. But before I invite Kate on, let's just do what we always do. Let's just take a moment to stop, pause, and breathe. And this is such a a practice of becoming more aware. So when we stop and we pause and we take these deep, full breaths, we can be aware of where we are in our bodies, the emotions that are arising and the thoughts And so as you take these deep, full breaths, just noticing how you feel in your body, how you feel in your emotions, and where you are in your thoughts. And in this moment of becoming aware, you have the power to choose how you're going to be, how you're going to move, how you're going to speak, the thoughts that you want to think. In this moment, this is your power. The present moment is your power. Your point of power. So let's take a nice deep breath in and out. And at any point in your day, you want to come back to your point of power. Just stop, pause, breathe. Okay, my friends. So do you believe you have a voice? And does that voice need to be heard? And sometimes our fears, our lack of confidence holds us back from bringing our full self forward and bringing our gifts to bear on the world. So this lovely woman, actress, speaker, and coach is going to give us the skills to practice speaking up and standing tall and finding our voice. And normally I'd you know, share each episode, I share the, the guest's bio, and Kate's bio is long and it's so... like. She has so many things that she's done and that she is doing. And, you know, as a professional actor and a clinical social worker. um, But you know what? I would love this time for Kate just to introduce herself. And because you have so many things to share, what is it that you really want our audience to hear about you and the work that you're doing? Oh, thank you. You know, this is a job that was not known of, right? Being a communication coach, it's something that I had never heard of when I was in high school or looking at things. I really wanted to be an actor. And I spent my youth acting and being in lots of plays and um, loving it so much. And then I was acting in New York and Boston, and that's what I was doing. And that was my life. And that's what I loved. And there was no question in my mind that I would leave that because every play was a different adventure. Every single role was a new world to live in and to find empathy for, you know, no matter if you're playing Lady Macbeth or whoever you're playing, you have to love that character and see the world from their point of view. Mm -hmm. 
And it was forever interesting. And I could never be good enough, right? You, there was always more growth. And I loved it. And one day I was at a play. I was in a, I was sorry, I was in a play. It was our last performance. It was a matinee at the Longworth Theater in New Haven. And I remember sitting there in front of the mirror with my little ringleted wig, fake freckles all over my face, my corset, you know, like I could barely <laughs> breathe, you know, sitting there looking at myself and, and missing my stepsister's wedding. And it was so clear to me. I thought, wow, I am having a fake life instead of a real life. And I think wow. I was about 32 years old at that point. And I thought, gosh, I had this like fantasy as I'm like putting on my makeup, you know, that I could do something different. And the first idea that came to me was that I could actually maybe have a, a like a partner, a life partner, and maybe have a house somewhere. And maybe there would be like a porch that I could winterize and I could be a therapist and I could work with young women on issues of self-esteem. This was like- so this all this is fate. happening while you're putting totally, your makeup on. Totally, totally. As I'm like putting my makeup on and doing my voice, you know, we'll, we'll get to this, doing my vocal warm up. we'll do some. And I, I, I remember after this performance, I called my dad and my dad said, oh, you should go to the Smith School for Social Work, whatever. I was like, what? <laughs> he said, oh yeah, they do their classes in the summer. It's a quickest way to become a therapist. You're too old now to like go to get your PhD, forget it. Let's get you out there. And I applied and I got in and I started and I never looked back. Wow. And I remember, yeah, I remember like, um, you know, a week before graduation, I got a call to audition for The Sopranos. And this is 2000. This is when The Sopranos was the biggest thing. Oh my gosh. I remember going and to like I, I remember the parties. <laughs> oh, I can't even go. I mean, usually I would have been like, you know, throwing away boyfriends and, and dishes at the other like, get me out of here. I got to go to New York right now. And instead I just said, oh, I can't even call them back because I'm, I'm directing the senior skits <laughs> for graduation. <laughs> I was oh, like, what a different turn to be able to say no, because when you're in that world of theater, you, everything is on their terms, everything. There's no freedom in that. When you get a role, there's some freedom, there's some artistic freedom, but mostly the business is set up that you are the bottom of the totem pole, unless you're super, super famous. And even then I think there's a fear it could end. You could yeah. get old, especially for women. Oh my goodness. Right. There's this constant fear and this sense of, of just freedom of saying, I don't have to do that it was so liberating. So I graduate, I'm a clinical social worker. And I realized when I graduated, I'm back in Boston instead of New York, all of my acting friends have decided to get real jobs and get families and, you know, get houses and mortgages. And so they started a real company called the Ariel Group. And it was all actors from Boston who I, a lot of them I worked with and directors who were training corporate executives, leadership presence using theater skills. Wow. So I, although I did practice, you know, uh, social work and I'm a clinical licensed clinical social worker. Most of my work has been coaching in that sense, using the, the the skills of theater, because these when we talk about voice, people can get very stuck and afraid, and the skills really help. There are some basic skills that really, really help because actors know this. Yeah, like right before we started, you said, "How are you feeling?" And I was like, "You know, it takes a while to get here. There's a practice to be able to get to this moment of feeling ready." 
There's so many juicy bits in what you just said. I mean, I don't even know which one to go with first. I mean, you know, I love when people say it takes practice because in our society, so often we want what we want now and our culture breeds us to believe that we can have that immediately, but everything takes practice. Like every single skill that we have and want to have takes practice. So and it's not so much time. And it's like, okay, what do you really want? And if you want that, you have, then you have to apply time, energy, resources in order to develop that. And so, but once you have it, it's like part of who you are. And like when you, we came on before, um, and, you know, just to check in and get our sound check and all that done, I was just like, wow, it's just so nice to have someone that just, just shows up and she's like, you know, really you're like in your body and you're ready to go. And it's a beautiful thing to see and feel. Cause I can like, I can really connect to people energetically. And I would love for you to share like, well, how, you know, for those of us like me who still get nervous before every, <laughs> I mean, I do my breathing ex- exercises and my intention and all, but what are some of the skills that we could apply in our lives to help us show up? Okay. Yeah. A lot of people come to me with fear of speaking, right? With fear of public speaking, or even fear of speaking up in their, in their team meetings or whatever it is. And what you just said is basically the crux of it. You said you warmed up and you have your purpose or intention, right? Those are huge, but I want to speak about them in terms of how we do that for theater because it's very helpful. But a big part of that, huge, 99% of all time and energy is in the preparation. So without the prep, the preparation brings you a long way to confidence, right? The more prepared we are. And I think what I come across is that people are, afraid because they don't know how to prepare. So a lot of the work we do is to say, this is what you do to prepare. So would it be helpful for me to walk you through like how I prepare someone to go? Yeah. Speak and and I love this because, you know, when the, the preparation again, like, you know, I teach yoga and meditation. I've been teaching it for a long time. Is like, it's in that preparation. Like we don't have that liberation every time we sit in, in a meditation, yeah. but what happens is that when you know, it's working like when that, that moment of time, when chaos hits or uncertainty hits, and then you're centered and you're grounded and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not the drama queen anymore. Like I'm here and I'm able to meet these challenges and because I've been doing the practices. So I want to, I want to learn some practices. And in fact, I would say for actors, or at least for me, I welcome those moments when something goes wrong because it brings it alive. And yeah, I'd invite that in. It's so exciting. Like, oh, not that I want another their entrance. What are we going to do? <laughs> right? You want to be in that place of play. Yeah, because you know when the pandemic did hit, I you know of course it was scary and all, but I realized I could feel, I could witness myself, and I'm like, I am so, I'm so much more calm and steady than mm-hmm. the world around me and even my friends. And I was like, wow. And in that moment, I'm like so grateful for the, all the practices that I have been doing up until that point. Yeah. So I want to learn some practices from you so I can, you know, kind of relish in those moments that are chaotic. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I want to put that out I'm there. I'm sure these are all things that many of them are things that we all do, but I just want to just put it out there. The okay. first thing I do when I'm invited to any event is to get as much information as possible. Do not be passive, right? We tend to say, they're going to tell me what to do and where to go. No, find out. How many people? Who's the audience? Where are they going to be sitting? Can I get into the space and look around and walk around? What kind of microphone? 
is there going to be a podium? Can we not have the podium? So the first thing is get curious, get as much information as possible. That's going to calm us down immediately, right? To know what to expect. The second piece is to actually go and play with it. If it's a microphone, go in early, go the night before, look around the banquet hall. Is there a raised stage? Get as much information as possible. The second piece is be really proactive. I I was working with someone who brought a video to show me of him giving a talk and the slides were sort of cutting his face off and the rest of his body was in, in darkness. So the audience couldn't see him Mm. at all. And I said, what happened? He says, that's where they put me. It's not a gift to the audience to not see you. It's a gift to the audience to see you. So pull your hair back, make sure that your face is lit, stand in the light, find the light. You know, these things are a gift to the audience then be proactive. Um, there was a, a woman who was going to give a talk in, in a movie theater. They, they were doing a big festival here and she was going to be giving a talk in a movie theater. And I said, well, are they going to have a place for you to put your notes? And she said, I don't know. And I said, borrow my music stand, throw it in the back of your car. And for, sure enough, she needed it, right? So be proactive. Think of everything, get in there soon. So get as much information as you possibly can. And then practice. And I really mean this. I mean practice daily. Practice is the hardest part, but I mean, go over it again and again and again. I'm not someone who wants people to memorize. We'll talk about, I like people to memorize their opening and closing lines if it's a long talk, but basically even actors, you can tell when they're acting, right? If you're listening outside of a rehearsal hall, you can hear when they're talking and when suddenly they're acting, right? It, It sounds fake. So it's very hard to, very hard, even with a lifetime of, of skill training, to make something memorized sound not memorized mm-hmm. or read. Reading has the same cadence often. So both of them can often have a very um, like regular cadence, right? Boom, 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 when it's read or memorized. So if you have to read it, there's ways that you can kind of um, help yourself chop it up. You want, you know, in life, we speak very in a very jagged way. So we want that sense, right? That you never know what's going to happen. Um, so where was I getting to? Oh, so you want to craft what you're going to say. You don't want to memorize it too much, but you want to know it, know it, know it, know it. And then, um, and then practice again and then practice again and then warm up and then practice again. So for the voice in particular, it's so complicated because it's a physical thing. It's in our bodies, right? It's in our breath. And we, I want to show you a little bit of something about that quickly. Yeah. It's also emotional. There's the content, there's the what we're saying, and there's the intention. So it's so multifaceted. So the first thing is, do I have a good mic? Can I literally be heard? Right? Am I speaking like this? Can I really, what do I need to do to actually literally have people be able to hear my voice? Mm -hmm. Right? Can they understand me? Right? Are they from a different country or culture? Am I being understood? It's huge. We are not communicating if we are not actually literally being heard and understood. Mm -hmm. That's big. So that means knowing your audience. Audience is a huge part of preparation. Who is my audience? What do they want from me? You know, what can I give them? So that's all I give them. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the physical body of the voice. And I've done a bunch of blog posts about this recently, actually, a whole series on voice, different aspects of voice. And I just want to say what you started with, that breath, 
I want to, I want to sing a line for you with two different kinds of breath. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first one is I'm going to do it a shallow breath up here in my chest. And we all know that if we go like pant, like put your hand on your chest and kind of pant, it can actually make us feel anxious, right? And this is the very anxious breath. Okay. And then if you put your hand on your belly and those deep breaths you were guiding us through, it has the opposite impact. So that breath, as anyone who practices yoga or meditation knows, is grounding, right? Mm -hmm. It relaxes people. It brings oxygen to the muscles, relaxes the muscles. It relaxes the mind because we're focusing on the Mm -hmm. breath. It's really powerful. And it is also the base of the voice. So if we don't have that breath, we are really not giving our voice its best shot. So I will, I will sing a line with this high breath and then with a the low breath, just to hear the difference. All right. So anybody in the radio audience, what I'm doing is I'm breathing now a very high, uh, shot, it's like a shallow breath into my chest. Okay. When sunny gets blue, her eyes get gray and cloudy. Okay. Now I'm going to do that exact same line taking a deep breath. My legs, if you guys can't see me, they're totally wide. I'm making a huge sort of bowl of my hips down here. Although I'm sitting, I'm really upright to make sure that I can really let that oxygen fill my body and really fill that bowl of my, of my hips. And if you could see me, I'll, I'll, for those who are watching on Facebook. Big belly breaths. The, be- the belly is extending with the inhale and then moving towards the navel yeah. and exhale. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm sitting back down. When sunny gets blue, her eyes get gray and cloudy. Okay. So what is the difference that you're hearing in the sound? It's more rich and um, the tone change, but there's definitely more depth to it. Um, and I can actually, I don't know if you can hear groundedness, but I did feel that. And um, it felt more powerful. It feels more powerful to me mm-hmm. for sure. Like, I felt like I could actually sing it the first time through. I was a little worried. I wasn't going to get to the end. Even like I just a little high pitchy string. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a, as a woman, I want that full richness of my voice. Yeah. Right. I don't want to get caught up in a head voice or pushing down into, you know, <laughs> acting school voice. Right. Like I want like my really robust, grounded, real voice, because that has the most flexibility and color and dynamism, you know? So we want that kind of grounded, centered voice. And a lot of it has to do with giving ourselves permission to have it. And also just taking that breath. Mm, Giving yourself permission too. And you know, I love, again, these synchronicities because this past week and my Facebook group, uh, we've been talking about again, the power of voice and where that comes from. And I was talking about the third chakra, which is the navel Mm -hmm. center, solar plexus area. And because, and I was saying, if you're having trouble, you know, finding your voice or you're feeling enraged and yelling and can't control your voice in that way, it's probably not the fifth chakra. It's the navel center because this is your point of power and also where your ego and your identity starts to develop. And if there's any wounding there and you're not down here, breathing into this area and doing some work in this area, then chances are you're not finding your real, true, authentic voice. I love these synchronicities. This is, no, this is incredible because if your attention is here, 
and your attention is in your throat, you're in big trouble. This is where we get vocal nodes in our vocal folds. This is where people get a lot of tension Mm -hmm. and it's where we're stuck. And honestly, your throat should have no tension, zero. So um, you may have heard of uh, FM Alexander who created the Alexander method, right? Mm -hmm. So he was an orator. He would fill, you know, paramount, like a thousand people in a huge theater traveling the world, telling stories, and he was losing his voice. And so he created this method of really structural, you know, standing, how to stand so that he kept his voice. And one of the most significant findings that he, that he found just experiencing this was that he was kind of stretching his vocal cords and his neck forward and looking out onto the audience. And he realized that that was really putting a lot of tension on his throat. And what he does instead is he has people kind of tuck their chin back and feel that they're almost falling up. So there's this sense of kind of a string from the crown of your head going way up to the ceiling and it releases the jaw and the throat and it kind of uh, releases these front muscles. You should feel nothing in your throat. It should all come from the base of the, of the breath. And that's that. really helpful. Another, uh, so we have to go to, can we hold on to that thought, Kate? I know. I always, God, I always hate interrupting because, <laughs> well, that's part of the woman's conditioning, right? Uh, but but mostly because you are everything you're sharing is so beautiful and I hate to interrupt you, but we do have to go to a break. But before we go, I just want to say some, recap some of the things that you said, like, you know, it's about getting curious, like really be curious and, and play with it. Make sure that you play with your environment or the situation that you want to, where you want to, you know, find your voice in, be proactive and practice, 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 and making sure that you're being understood, understanding who your audience is so that you can actually, when you do share your voice, that you're actually being heard. Um, And so I'd love to dive in when we come back, maybe how can we apply this to the audience of our relationships or the Mm. audience and our, might be our work or our lover, our spouse, our kids, how do we like take these techniques and apply them in our daily lives, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. So for everyone that listening is listening, please don't go anywhere. We're here with Kate Bennis and we're going to be right back. Um, and if you want to jump over to our women's, Women Thriving Unapologetically Facebook group, we'll be hanging out with Kate after the show um, for the after party. Okay. We'll see you soon. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, You awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful, magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv slash goddess to sign up today. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Welcome back, everyone, to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I'm Lindsay McCowan, and I'm here today with Kate Bennis, actor, social worker, communications uh, coach. And it's such a pleasure. We're having an awesome conversation on how we can find our voice. And we left off with Kate giving us some really great insights, um, some practical tools that will help us make sure that our we're voicing ourselves clearly and that we're being heard. And so I'd love just to pick back up on our conversation, Kate. So I'm handing it over to you. Okay. (laughs) We had talked a little bit about the difference in my voice based on where I breathe. If I breathe in a high, shallow breath, or if I breathe in a low belly breath. And a lot of people, I, I feel this too. It feels almost a lower register, richer, more powerful. I feel more in control, all of those things. But years ago when I was, I was pregnant, so I couldn't travel for work. And I was working at the aerial group running their nonprofit wing. And I was doing a bunch of work in the prisons in Boston with men who had been incarcerated for, you know, some of them since the seventies. And I was doing a storytelling piece. And I remember I did this example for them um, and asked what they heard. And one of them said something that I had not heard from any, you know, conference that ever workshop, nothing. He said, it's more emotional. Mm. It's more emotional the second time through. And I really put that out there to say, when we want to have our voices, we need to be in touch with our emotions and we need to be in touch with what's actually happening for us. Okay. So what's important to remember about, I think people are afraid sometimes that if they speak the truth, they will be hijacked by their emotions, that their emotions will just you know, keep them from talking, that they'll break into tears, that they'll scream, that they'll yell, whatever it is. And I just want to talk a little bit about how people in theater think of emotions. We think of emotions as byproducts of action and intention is action. So if an emotion comes, it's neither here nor there. It's just Mm -hmm. fine. It comes through us. Where we get stuck is when we get stuck, is when we try to suppress it, when it's in our throats and we get physically you know, I was doing a play and two weeks before opening, I lost my voice. It was painful. I could not talk. I went to the ear, nose and throat doctor. I went to a speech pathologist and then I realized what it was. We were at the moment in rehearsal where we were stopping and starting very emotional scenes. So I would be in the middle of crying and she'd say, oh, the director would say, oh, you know what? Actually, I think your light is going to be over here. Can you move over here? And I would stop the emotion in my throat and move and start again. And as soon as I realized, then we got into the running of the whole play or big chunks of the play and this, this, my voice came back and I realized from then on, I need to finish emotions. It's just finishing them. It's allowing them to come through us and out. So any, if we try to stop those emotions, they will literally hurt our throats. We will feel pain there and we can get damaged to our vocal cords. So so incredibly important for women to hear is that because Oftentimes we're told that our emotions are like, we shouldn't be so emotional, but the emotions are really 
a gateway to more of our power, it sounds like, because we have to let them move through us so that yes. we can actually find our voice and and not like because and also they're neither emotions here right. on our power. I hate to say this, but it's like they're not unimportant. They're just neither here nor there. We don't have to worry about our emotions. Yeah. You can't make yourself happy. You can't say, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be happy. You can't, emotions are just like clouds. You know, they just kind of do their own thing. We can't count on them. We don't know if they're going to be there. We don't, you know what I mean? Where we get into trouble is if we try to control them. Yeah. So what I take from the theater is this idea what Stanislavski called objective, which is what do I want from the audience, from the other character, from the other person, if in a relationship, what do I want? That is my intention. Okay. And by pro and the emotions are a byproduct of that intention. And if we try to control them, they will bite us in the butt. So you don't suppress them. You don't even, it's like irrelevant. So can I give you an example of how I use this in a play? And then I want to think about it in terms of relationships, because this Mm -hmm. is super important to me, I think in terms of having a voice is to say that the emotions will be there or not, not my problem, right? They will just come or not. They're not the point. The point is my intention. An intention in the way that I use it is very specific. It's an action. It's a verb. It's framed in the positive, And it is always involving the other, the audience, the other person. So um, an example is, um, you know, a woman sees a child, you know, this like urban myth about like a baby under a car and a woman like picks up the car and <laughs> saves the baby. That's pure intention. The intention is to save the baby. She is not thinking about, are they seeing my underpants? Do I look like an idiot? Right? Am I screaming my head off? That is byproducts of her intention. So that's a very clear example of it. You think of what your role is too, mother. The role right there is caretaker. My intention is to save. Okay, it's that simple. It's always framed in the positive. It's always about the other. If the intention comes back to ourselves, if it like a boomerang comes back to ourselves, it's not going to work. To impress is about me. Mm-hmm. To um, to not make a fool of myself is framed in the in the negative, right? It, to anything that comes back to me or is framed in the negative is not an action, and we cannot make ourselves feel or be in any particular state, but we can take action. We, so we want to have a positive intention that is uplifting for the other people. For the not other necessarily. So in theater, it might be to berate. What I mean by positive, it's not framed like to not upset. It's literally mm-hmm. doesn't have a not in it. Okay. For in theater, we might be to humiliate, to whatever. You know, it can be anything. Um, in it depends on your what we call in theater the given circumstances. If I'm there to give a talk, a TED talk for sure, I probably don't want to humiliate the audience, right? You know what I mean? Not I want to idea. inspire them <laughs> or to engage them or to enliven them, right? So of course it depends on the situation. What I mean by positive is just not framed with a not. We okay. can't not, we can't not do something, <laughs> you know. We it has to be a positive. Mm-hmm. Um Another example is that I was doing a play where the stage direction said she sobs uncontrollably. Okay. I can't just sob uncontrollably. Who can't? It's very painful to watch somebody try (laughs) to sob uncontrollably. But what I could do in the scene, my, the love of my life is literally leaving. He's in the army and he's leaving town. Love of my life. What I could do was stop him to stop him. And as soon as I got to stop him, I was like, 
wrapping my arms around him, holding him back. My sisters are pulling me off. He's pushing me away. And I was sobbing uncontrollably, right? So this is an example how emotions are just let them be. Focus instead on your intention. And the intention will focus everything. Um, Okay, so how does this apply to relationships and just not public speaking, right? Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful books I've read was Harriet Lerner's book called The Dance of Anger. And it's like she wrote it in the 80s. And I, I think when I first read it, I didn't have kids or, you know, a partner. And I was just like, whatever. I've never had anger. <laughs> but let me tell you. Oh, you honey, know? I have. <laughs> <laughs> Not like that. Like I hadn't experienced anger like that since I was pulling my brothers by their hair when we were seven or something, right? So suddenly after, you know, having children and all these, I was like, oh, I, I really understand what that means. And um, one thing that she talks about is we speak out in order to have a self. Mm. So sometimes it's not about changing or influencing or nothing. Sometimes we just speak because we have to say something in order to have a self. And that comes back to the the belly, that center of your mm. I amness. This is like where your ego is formed. And if we're breathing down in here, you know, in, in the spiritual traditions, we pose the question, who am I? to the navel center. And like, this is our sense of I amness. So if we're breathing down into our belly and letting our voice come from there, it gives you that sense of I amness. Sometimes we speak to have a self. And when we don't speak, we unself ourselves. Mm -hmm. So unself ourselves. Yeah. She, I think she uses the term de-selfing, but it's just Mm. this idea of just, sometimes we just have to have a self. And we don't have to have the answers and we don't need to know why. Sometimes we just have to say, yeah, that doesn't feel good to me. I don't know why. It can be something very simple. Something. It's such a relief just to be able to say, yeah, I don't know why. Just don't like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I want this. (laughs) I don't know why. Yeah. I think that's important too. Like it doesn't have to be something profound. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be long drawn out. It could just be just letting your sense of self coming forward in just a few simple words helps you feel more connected to your power and yourself because yeah. your power is your I amness and knowing who you are. And I think we worry so much that we have to be right. If we're going to say something. Yeah, exactly. You can only say something that's right. And then we're, we're really being a lawyer with ourselves, like negotiating with ourselves and trying to be right and never wrong. And sometimes we just have to say, I don't know why. Because yeah. Give yourself permission not to have to be perfect. Or have it well, all. I love that about um, Harriet Learn, uh, Learner's book. Um, I would really highly recommend it. And the other thing that I work on a lot when I'm working with people in interpersonal relationships that are very thorny and complicated, and the closer we are to someone, actually, the harder it can get often, um, is John Gottman's work. And that, is this something that's come up for you? at all. He's so interesting. So there's a professor here at UVA who worked with him, helped him run his lab and helped him come up with what they call the SPAF code, which is, I don't even know what it stands for. Sorry, Jim Cohn, <laughs> but it's about, you know, coding our facial expression. And what they did was they set up something called a love lab where they looked at couples and they hooked them up to all sorts of, you know, gadgets and they measured all different parts of their physiology. And then they had them argue. And they were able to set to show, and I think Gottman, I think this is the correct um, 
percentage, 93% of the time he could, by looking at how they fought, predict who was going to be together in two years. 93%. Yeah. And what he found, I find is very useful. Take this this before they get married. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's a good idea, (laughs) but you know, the thing is, these are all skills. So you can practice them. So that's the thing. These are, these are not things that it's just set in stone. Sorry. It's not going to work out. These are all skills we can practice and change the way we interact. So that's why it's important in terms of having a voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what he found was that direct anger is fine. Direct anger is not toxic in any way to relationships. It just, and it translates in terms of intention to stop it, to stop, to put an end to, mm-hmm. to end, stop. Okay. Whereas there are what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Four oh, yes. That happen, yeah. yeah. That happened to anger when we twist it or don't express it directly, which comes back to the Harriet Lerner piece of just having a voice. Sometimes we just have to have a voice. And if we don't just say something, it can get twisted into these other ways of expressing anger, which are in fact really negative and have very negative um, impacts on relationships. Although we use them all the time, it's really when they dominate. We all do all of these. It's just that they dominate, you're going to have a difficult relationship. So saying no, stop it, pure anger, totally fine. And I think there was a finding that even early on in relationships, if women can show anger early on, it actually correlates positively to relationships, to the future of the relationship. And here's an example. Like, let's imagine somebody leaves their towel on the floor and I say, I pick it up and I'm furious. Oh, every day, the towel on the floor, these person, these people, they're making me feel, you know, they don't have their respect for my time. They don't, they're treating me like they're just like, you know, going to be royalty and I'm going to clean up after them. I've got a whole story. Right. And instead of just speaking up, I've got this whole story and then I'm mad. And this is the anger, right? This anger roiling inside of me. And then the next day, the towel on the floor. And I say, you always leave the towel on the floor. So always is a key that we always, you know, we talk yeah. about in all kinds of trainings, right? Always is blanket criticism. Always, never. So criticism is the first horseman, right? It's very damaging. Um, the second horseman is uh, contempt. So contempt shows up as sneering, you know, kind of like disgust in a way. Um, and it's a kind of whole, it's, it's the goal is to humiliate contempt. Okay. And then the third one is defensiveness, which I think we should talk about because it's actually something that comes up with voice a lot. Yeah. And then the third one is stonewalling and stonewalling is speaking without speaking. It is speaking by not speaking. It is putting up a wall. Sometimes you see people actually literally turn away, not looking at each other, right? That is stonewalling. And all of them don't have positive impacts on relationships or voice. So with the towel example, I might just yell, stop leaving the towels on the floor. Done. Stop leaving the towels on the floor. Pick up your towels. That's it. That's okay. That's like clear. Fine to say, you know, without getting into the whole story of you always. And I, you know, and you just think that I'm, you know, without getting into all those other kind of more because the story leads to yeah. the contempt and all those other things yeah. that kind of poisons you yes. and it causes these behaviors that will start to, because, you, you know, your partner might not even be aware of it. Oh, of course not. Maybe not. Or know how important it was to you because it's not important to them or whatever. Yeah. And right. they don't know the story that's going on in your head. Exactly. 
Exactly. So that I think is really, that's another thing in terms of voice is just when you want to say something, just it's okay. I don't like the towels on the floor. I don't like that. Please pick them up. It's okay. And instead of what we tend to do, which is kind of, yeah, have this kind of roiling internal dialogue and story and all that kind of stuff that can come out in these other ways that are not very helpful. Yeah. And I think when, when you're able to be so clear with your words and like right to the point, then, and when therefore someone can hear you clearly, then it's, it's almost like this huge relief. Like you feel powerful in the moment, but you also have this sense of complete relief um, where if you stay in that story, you keep, you know, perpetuating that uh, always (laughs) over and over and over again, then it feels disempowering. It, you feel like you don't, I don't know, for me, that's how it feels. Yeah. Well, you said something earlier, like it gets stuck in our own bodies, right? We just hold on to it. We've got this whole internal battleground. And what's interesting to me is as soon as I started, and I still have to practice this consciously a lot, it's not second nature for me at all. But when I do say it, it's almost, it's like all, it's not even angry, right? Like when I do just say, yeah, I just pick up your towels. It's kind of nothing. It becomes nothing. What is painful often is the internal battleground that we hold and the stories that we hold. And the actual thing is kind of irrelevant often, you know, sometimes it's real. And listen, when it's important too, we have to speak up. There have been times when I've just said my whole body is like, I need to say something and it comes out and you just, it just has to be said. Mm-hmm. And things are vital and important. We also have to do that. Okay. I want to definitely pick this back up when we come back. We have to go to our last break of the show. And so we're with Kate Bennis. And so if you've been listening, stay with us. And just so you know, doors are now open for enrollment in my Awaken the Divine Feminine program, which is for women who want to discover their power, their presence, and their purpose find your voice and claim your voice and space so that you can live a more fulfilling and empowered life. So if you're interested, all you have to do is go to lindsay.tv slash goddess. That's lindsay.tv slash goddess. And you can begin the journey to your awakening today. We'll be right back. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, You awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv slash goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You're listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Welcome back, everyone, to Women Thriving Unapologetically. We're going to dive right back in with Kate Bennis because there's still so much more to talk about with Kate. So, Kate, you know, we were talking about the the dance of anger and the the four the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and how our communication is it's so much better just to allow ourselves to speak what we need to say in that moment, even if it sounds a little bit angry or if there's emotion behind it, because emotion is not good or bad. It just needs to come through us. It's when we suppress that, that it starts to become toxic and kind of boils. And then we start to move into places, uh, areas of contempt or stonewalling. And, and we get, you know, create those massive stories in our head that most of the time are not true. And so let's go ahead and pick back up with that. Is there any, because, you know, when you t- teach, you talk about this ability, like, you know, it's really important that what you say has impact and the intention behind that is, is incredibly important. So we don't want to be like, we don't want our intention to be to harm our partner. Um, I mean, hoping not, but no, intention is very important. So let, can I jump, jump in on intention? Yeah, jump Just in. Kind of talks about that. So intention I use is probably the most powerful tool that I use. If we, you know, Stanislavski, who was the godfather of all, you know, modern theatrical and and the method, they call it, right, for acting. He believed that we all have an intention or an objective all the time, all the time. And if we're not choosing a clear and positive intention, we will default. So here's an example. Someone giving uh, feedback to one of their direct reports, somebody who reports to them. We did this in a workshop, right? And they start saying, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. And I'm like, okay, wait, but pause. What's your intention to get them to do, you know, to get them to do better work, to support them. And I said, okay, start again to support them, to support them. Are you going to start with, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. No, the default is to point out what's wrong, to, to point out what's not working. If you come back with a very clear intention, my intention actually is to help this person be better at what they do. That changes everything. So to make sure that we're not defaulting. So when we are in a conversation with someone to remind ourselves, gosh, what's my intention? Is my intention to make them feel bad about themselves? Really? Huh? Sometimes when I work with my clients, I'm always asking them, what's your default system? Like pay attention to what your default system is because we can have a, a positive intention but if our default system is always to go back and criticize, right? you have to be aware of that because you can have the intention, like, I really want to support this person. But then all of a sudden you go back into that, that critiquing and the and picking apart or being. And so like, what is your default? How to, and making I sure that you love that. Actually, if you're not choosing consciously a clear intention, we will often default. Yeah. So to have that clear intention and to act from that is really important in one-on-one relationships. Mm-hmm. So is it to make some, you know, this is, comes up all the time. I've got teenagers, you know, do I want to make them feel guilty? No, I want them to be safe. I want them to, to, to coach them how to be safe, whatever it is, right? You know, we, and we will default all the time, especially in intimate relationships, the closer we are. 
Um, although people do it at work all the time to my intention is to sound smart <laughs> instead, of, which is about me, right? I said, any intention that is about me is going to boomerang back on me. And it's therefore not for the audience. So it's always for the other. And so they'll, they'll feel that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The people don't listen to your word. They don't listen. They don't. What you communicate is more about your intention than your text. Is that because your tone, the tone of your voice will change because within, you can have an intention. Um, if it's really super clear, then that's coming from core of who you are. And then that will resonate through your tone. And the tone is what is really not necessarily what you say, but how you say it. Is that, am I getting this right? So I would say that all of those things follow intention and it's much easier to have a clear intention than to worry about tone and vocal variety. All those things you can do in rehearsal and practice, work on vocal variety and tone and all those kinds of things. But in the moment, you don't want to be thinking about that. Nobody does. Well, I feel like but it almost you, happens naturally if exactly. you're connected to your intention. Exactly. So if the intention, I, I think of it like a web and you want to find the one string that's going to pull everything right up with it. That's going to, that's going to pull strength in the voice and confidence and all those kinds of things. And almost always the, the three parts are preparation, breath, which you've talked about, we can talk about more, and intention. And it's, it's the intention will often pull everything along with it. Everything. It will change how you stand, how you connect to the audience, how you use your eyes, how you use your voice. All of it will change if your intention is very clear. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's always a gift for the audience, for them. It's not about... so much sense. Yeah. And it's a relief. Once we take that attention off of ourselves, am I going to mess up? Am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to forget my lines? Am I going to whatever? As soon as we take that attention off of ourselves, it's, that's a relief. It's not about me at all. And it's I think there's something, I mean, I know we, this word gets thrown around way too much, but there's something about the authenticity of that, which will help it, whatever you're saying, land more with your audience. So in a way, if you don't, you know, don't get it right, or you mess up your lines. I mean, we're not, I'm, I'm thinking about real, real world, yeah. not necessarily on the stage, but that creates a sense of vulnerability that creates connection with other people. Cause I know times that I've connected with my clients or people, you know, in a class or a workshop or online, the most is when I have shared my story, but allowed it not to be rehearsed, but it was just, it was just very much opening myself up. And in that vulnerability, people felt that really rich connection. Well, it's what you just said is so lovely. And my, I was thinking about what my parents each taught me about speaking. And my dad was a wonderful speaker. I mean, he just had a beautiful voice. He told stories. He was funny. He was silly. He was just a lovely and wonderful speaker. And my mom taught me, she was a visual artist, the beauty of human imperfection. I feel like that is the vulnerability, right? Like that's why we want to watch a play. That is why we want to watch a, a film. We, that's why we want to hear people speak. That is the beauty of human imperfection. We don't want to see a perfect speaker. We don't want to see yeah, somebody. We don't want to read a novel that takes us through someone's perfect life. That's so boring. Right? No, we, we, you know, we just, we just, we don't need to say it perfectly. It's mm -hmm. just, that is the beauty, right? That's what we actually love and connect to about each other. So for women that are listening to the show or whoever's listening to the show that, you know, it's okay. Give yourself permission to be imperfect, but 
and don't squash your voice, allow, allow the voice to come through so that you, you, you know, you can start to practice, 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 practice being mm. centered in who you are. What was the, I mean, I call it my I amness, but you said that yourself. Yeah. Well, that's the Harriet Lerner term yeah. is to have a self, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So we only have a couple minutes left before we have to end the show. So I really want to make sure that people, uh, like we can follow up with whatever burning thing that wants to come through you. And then also how people can connect to you, Kate, and get some support and find their voice or maybe coming and helping their organization. Or maybe someone has a TED talk out there that they want some support. The TEDx coach is so important. I can testify to that. (laughs) Well, I mean, literally how they can reach out to me. Yeah. Yeah, Kate Bennett Studio, katebennettstudio.com. And it's, I'm Kate at katebennettstudio.com. And that's it, you know? Yeah, I'd love to hear from people. I'm on Facebook. I'm on everything. I'm on all the socials. It's the same thing on Instagram, Kate Bennett Studio as well. So definitely reach out. And I have a weekly presence prompt, like tiny little things about personal presence and communication that are sort of fun to get if people like them. And I do. Yeah. And so definitely reach out to Kate. And she's also going to hang out with us in the Women Thriving Unapologetically Facebook group here after um, we go off air. So if you have any questions, you want to connect real time, we're going to be over there. So definitely go over to Women Thriving Unapologetically Facebook group. And we can talk a little bit more there about the importance, you know, whatever we didn't get to cover here, which we still won't have time to cover all of it. So Kate, is there any last thing that you want to share with our listeners today? Yes. I just want to say we need all hands on deck. We need all voices clear and heard. We are in a critical mm-hmm. time in our world. And there, and this reminder that it's not about us. A dear friend of mine said he was writing a book for his grandchildren. And I said, what is it about? He said, do what you do best to the best of your ability for the good of others. And I feel like that is what I would ask of everybody. So have a voice. We need your voice. We need your voice. And finding your voice will is incredibly necessary right now, women. I mean, we know this. And there it can be a lot of fear and vulnerability in finding your voice. And that's okay. You have amazing people here to support you and be with you. Kate's here. If you want to work with me one-on-one or Kate one-on-one, if you want to be, join the group or a workshop that Kate is doing, you'll be held really, really well and totally supported and loved so that you can find your voice and for the good of your life and for everyone else. So with that, we're going to have to end the our live internet show and we'll just go over to the Facebook group. So for those of you that are listening, be sure to join us next week, every week on Thursdays at 10 a.m., 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I am Lindsay McCowan, your host. And we'll see you over in the Facebook group here shortly. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving Unapologetically. We hope we've inspired you to claim your birthright to thrive. Tune in next week where we will continue to give you the tools you need to flourish, prosper, and thrive. Until then, have a beautiful week.